Hello, one and all, and welcome to the podcast we call The Fantastical with myself, Steve Nussbaum. In the podcast, I invite my guests to come on, talk to me all about their musical taste, their memories, their experiences, and they get to collect their fancy festivals, which I have christened Fantastivals. I hope everyone is well, wherever you're listening in the world. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas, a fantastic New Year. It's now 2024, and I'm excited for what's in store for this wonderful podcast. So I'm not going to ramble away. I'm just going to get straight into this one and introduce the guest for the first time in 2024 on our 151st episode. And I'm delighted to introduce the drummer extraordinaire from Ash, as well as the man behind Burners Witches. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Rick McMurray. Hey, good evening. Thanks for having me. Rick, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. What an amazing way to start 2024. I'm so looking forward to hearing you talk all about music and Ash and Burners Witches. But I always like to start the pod by asking my guests about their mental health to find out how they're doing. I think it's really important we speak about it. So to start off, Rick, mate, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we um, just they like, got Christmas all, all done. I'm, I'm up in Scotland these days and the kids have just gone back to school. So it's been a little bit of a procrastination day. I have to be honest, I've been I've been sat, uh, probably should be working on lyrics and getting getting stuff finished for my album. But this, you know what? The snooker's on. So I've been sat with a with a drum pad, just a pair of sticks, and watching the snooker all afternoon. So yeah, that's that that's good for good for my mental health. But you know, it's like I'm just in the back of my mind. I think I'm working on stuff sub- subconsciously. So yeah, I'm 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 pretty good. Thanks for asking. No worries. How are you? I'm all good. I'm all good. Hard day at work, but I feel like it's getting back into the into the swing of it now. But. I love snooker. I find snooker quite relaxing as well. Do you, do you play much snooker, or are you more of an armchair armchair fan? Um, definitely, definitely an armchair one. It's like, yeah, I don't get down to the snooker club pretty much at all. I think that was the last time I played. It was quite a while ago. I think we did this weird gig in in Dublin, and uh, the dressing room had like a full size snooker table in it. And uh, after the show, after a few beverages, shall we say, I played our sound engineer, and I was pretty plastered, but. But I won. <laughs> I was about the last thing I remember of that night. <laughs> At least you remember being victorious, right? Which is uh, always a good memory to have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't rub it in too much. I don't think it did anyway. Game <laughs> <laughs> to listen to this podcast so he can uh, he can reminisce, obviously. So, Rick, I know you started in music very early. I know Ash came through at a very young age. But tell me, firstly, about your kind of earliest musical memories. What do you remember from your childhood? about being a kid well, and your relationship with music? I've, I've actually been thinking about this quite a bit um, the last couple of days because um, I'm actually going to go and see Steve Harris from Iron Maidens, like kind of like solo project. It's like, I think they're called, uh, what are they called? British British Lion. Um, it's, just weird. it's come about because we, when we toured uh, at the end of last year, the, the bus driver we had actually works for Steve Harris and the, the bus we were using was owned by Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. And... Uh, he was just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be up in Edinburgh. Do you want to come down to the show? And I was just like, oh, wow, it'd be amazing to go and, go and see Steve Harris because that was, like, very early sort of musically. And, in fact, I was just remembering being, like, really young. I must have been about, I want to say, maybe eight at the oldest and going around to friend's house. And I don't think we listened to the record, but I remember seeing the cover of, like, Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden and just being like, oh, wow, what's this? I didn't listen to it, but it was just, like, kind of, like... I, I, in fact, it probably goes back a bit earlier than that because I think when I was like, really young, we'd go to the corner shop, my mum would give me money for sweets or whatever, and I didn't buy sweets. I bought heavy metal like pin badges, and this must have been the age of 
maybe five or six. Wow. So I, I I was into the logos and the kind of looks of the sort of metal stuff even before I'd heard in any of it. But um, yeah, it's just like going going out to see see uh, Steve Harris's band tomorrow night, and uh, I don't, I don't know whether I meet him or not. But yeah, it's just like re- remember like having like the Live After Death VHS when I was about eleven, and just like like wearing the wearing the tape out. I I just like watched it every day. It was just like amazing. I remember asking my brother like, "What do you think the easiest job in a band is?" And he was like, uh, "The drummer." And I was like, "All right." I'll, I'm going to be a drummer then, and, and here I am, you know, <laughs> years later, as a drummer. So yeah, but yeah, other it wasn't it wasn't all heavy metal. I think when I was um, I had a like babysitter. Weirdly enough, I just got a babysitter for my kids so I can go out and see this gig tomorrow night because my wife's away. Oh yeah, yeah, babysitter who um, her boyfriend was like a like really into sort of mod stuff. He had like the Vespa and stuff, the big parka and whatever. And uh, I remember her coming up to the house and playing this like cassette that he'd given her of like a load of like early who singles and kinks and stuff like that and just like i remember hearing that and just knowing it was like really different from anything i'd heard in like top of the pops or whatever growing up it just like sounded like like from a different planet and it really caught me it was stuff like probably the kink stuff stuck with me a bit more like you know waterloo sunset dead end street it was just like a bunch of these sort of great songs and really i think like the storytelling aspect of it really kind of like grabbed me as, as a kid as well you know it's just like the whole yeah you know like terry meets julie and stuff it was like this the whole story like in this the kind of three minute song so yeah that was like a big big influence as well so and apart from obviously drums being the easiest instrument i'll, I'll say in quotation marks because i'm i'm sure having been behind a drum kit it's not at all what else drew you to the drums i don't know because i actually started playing guitar before i started playing drums oh. it was like i think my brother had an acoustic guitar and I kind of started picking that up and he showed me a bunch of chords. And then I got an electric guitar when I was about 11 years old and just I just was playing that for a couple of years. And then it was I kind of thought everyone I know plays guitar. You kind of need a drummer to play. But I just like if you play guitar, someone can play bass. But, you know, it's like if you're going to start a band, there needs to be a drum kit. And it's sort of from that sort of light bulb moment, it's sort of becoming sort of obsessed with it and i remember listening this is quite embarrassing actually i don't think i've ever told anyone this but i was listening to a band called i don't know if you remember a band called great white oh very vaguely awful awful metal band but i was listening to some some live recording i had of of theirs and i was just like listening to it and it's just suddenly the drums just like really like jumped out to me i was just like could hear kind of for some reason my ear just like honed in the drums and i was just like i reckon i could do that and then it's just sort of like you know you know, hand, hands and knees, whatever, just going like, oh yeah, I can, I can, like, kind of keep time, kind of follow along what's going on with that. And then it was just like, I want a drum kit. And I don't even know if I mentioned to my parents if I wanted a drum kit. I think I went, I, like, went to the music shop in, like, sort of local town. My dad went to, like, I, I used to go to football matches as a kid with my dad. But then around the age of 11, I started just, like, going around all the, like, record stores and, like, music stores. So I went, went to this music store I knew, and it was just like, I just went, oh, there's a pair of like black drumsticks I'll have then. And uh, had these two pairs of drumsticks. And I just like sort of like drummed along on a, I think it was something, like sat in my bed with like a beanbag and stuff and just like drumming along to just like whatever I was listening to. And it's going like this is, yeah, I'm kind of, kind of getting something going here. So I didn't get a drum kit for Christmas. But then my parents turned up like, I think it must have been like February or March or something like that. And they just like came home and they had a drum kit in the car. I was just like, what the fuck is this? 
Like, I, no idea. I, I don't know. I think they were probably probably realised that I was just like spending my entire teenage years in my bedroom and I wasn't going out with mates or, or doing anything. So it was like, well, it's, it's given something to do. So I got a drum kit and uh, and then off I went. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I guess like I alluded to, Ash, a really young band when they kind of broke through. Was Ash your first band, or were there like other bands with mates before Ash? Yeah, it was the first, the first like first band I joined. I mean, I think like Tim and Mark, I think it's like, kind of well known that they played from a very young age. They were, I think, eleven years old when they met, and they got like guitars for Christmas. And with the like, even before they learned how to play, they were like, "We're going to start a band." And they they'd been kicking around for a while. They were like the year below me in school, so I kind of knew who they were. But I think me and Tim met through doing this school play called The Suicide, which is this like mad Russian play. In fact, one of my one of my mates who was in the play just sent me her copy of the script recently, wow. which is quite mad. I, I haven't read it again yet, but if you're listening, thank you, Kit, for sending that over. I played this like drunken Russian. I think it was a detective. It was definitely definitely a very drunken role. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I met Tim in that, and he, he like he was playing this like I guess it was like you know itinerant musician in the playing. There was this like whole like this guy had like faked his own death or something like that, and he was like at his own wake and stuff, and uh, had this like big like Russian wake, and there was all these musicians playing. And so Tim was playing playing the part of one of these musicians. He had had a guitar there, and it was just like, oh, can I can I have a play on your guitar? And he sort of played on it. And he was like, oh, yeah, me and a couple of mates are getting together um, in the Easter holidays and we're going to just like get together and play a few songs. So we we played together. I went went round and it was just like we're kind of doing like cover versions and stuff. And I think Mark actually came round. He wasn't he wasn't playing in the band, but he just came round to hang out to check out what was going on. And then I think it was like a few months after that, Tim was like, oh, do you want to get together again? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. They turned up and it was just him and Mark. And they were like... Right, we we've decided we want to kick out all the other guys in the band. Uh, do you want to join join our band? It was like, yeah, sounds good to me. So that's that's where it started. I think we they, within a week we got into the studio, record a bunch of songs, which was totally mad. You know, I never, you know, never been in a band before, and then like within a week we're we're recording our first first stuff. I guess at that stage, did you realise kind of what you are you were onto? Because I guess it just felt normal. I guess for you, but. Obviously not, because it was such a, a great time to to launch the band and great early early tracks. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think um, I'd actually seen like the, Tim and Mark's previous band called Vietnam. They played at like some, some like I think it was like a children in need fundraiser at school. I saw Tim and Mark's first band uh, called Vietnam at school. They were doing like a children in need fundraiser thing, and uh, so there was like I think it was three guys from their school but then there was these two older guys who were like 18 they left school and they were in, in this band with Tim, which was kind of weird because they're in a band with a bunch of 15 year olds at that point you know when you're that young that's like that's like a massive gap it's like these guys are adults and these guys are younger than me what's going on but um they were, they were very much a kind of a metal band but i think within a few months of that it was like kind of 1991 like you know it's like Tim and mark nirvana and that kind of thing changed everything they get rid of all the, the old metal guys and they were like right we're, we're going to start a new band and uh yeah it was just it was you know kind of mad exciting time like i just sort of finished by like gcse's or something like that and then suddenly i'm in I'm playing in this band it's just like kind of amazing and i guess very successful very early on did did the success surprise you and i guess how did you cope with it at such at such a young age um 
I think with Tim, Tim and Mark, were very. I think they were very driven from a very young age. Because remember, you know, we've been playing. I think the, their first band was kind of seen as a little bit of a joke amongst sort of other bands in, in the area. Um, all, all the other bands were kind of like cooler. Were were switched onto the kind of like the alternative stuff, and were probably kind of better players than, than their original band. So I think they felt they had a lot to prove in the early days, and they were very driven as well. It was it was very much like right, you know, it's like we're we're doing demos. We're going to like try and get a record deal. So there's always. You know, I think from the outside it probably seemed like you know the, this band sort of came from nowhere and they're signed like super young. But I remember like us sitting around going like, oh man, it's like how the hell do you get a deal? We were just like really kind of frustrated about not not really getting anywhere without without having any sort of idea of how we could get there. So there's there's definitely a, a kind of kind of this frustration in the early days. We actually had um, I'm trying to remember the name of the label, but was it? It was uh, Dizzy Chainsaw's label, whoever that was. I think it was One Little Indian. Um, yeah, probably. And, yeah, I think they, they'd they shown a bit of interest because they got a hold of a demo tip that we'd sent out. And they were showing a little bit of interest and then suddenly it just went really cold. So we were just feeling like really disillusioned at this point. But, and, you know, this is, you know, it's like, I guess, probably a year after we'd kind of come up with the name Ash and done our first demo. So, yeah, there's there a little bit of frustration at that point. But yeah, I guess you know it's like, it, you know, when you when you're that age, you know, it's like a year feels like a lifetime. Um, but you know, in hindsight, yeah, anyway, things did ha- happen pretty quickly. But you know, it was like, it was kind of weird. It was almost like we were living a double life in the early days because I think most of our sort of peers in school and stuff weren't really that aware of what we were doing because, to be honest, they weren't really into that kind of music or that alternative si- scene. You know, it's like if you mentioned anything like you know, Mud Honey or the Pixies or whatever, you could. Uh, this like blank look or whatever and just people were just into like pop stuff or whatever or into football or it just yeah it just didn't seem to be something it was even worth talking to a lot of people about so it was almost like you know we we're doing stuff in school and then we we're going away to do you know gigs and on weekends and during school holidays and stuff like that and doing a bit of recording so i guess you know with that that sort of thing probably kept us a bit growing and it felt like we were living living two lives at once how does it feel now, I guess, when you go back and listen to like, uh, those early recordings and like that first album? Do you still listen to that or, or, or will you not kind of go back and listen now? Um, it's been a long time since I've sat sat down and sort of re-listened to, to especially the really early stuff. For me, I, I don't really dwell on that, that stuff that much. I'm always kind of, kind of thinking about what's next. But, you know, we think, I think we used to sit down and listen to a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's weird because, you know, it's like... Yeah, it's, it's just always about what's next and what's coming up and sort of pushing yourself as a musician, you know. It's like, I think if, you, if you're if you not sort of like trying to grow all the time, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to continue doing it. You know, that's like the whole point of it for me, to keep sort of like getting better and coming up with new new ideas and just keeping focused on it. So, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think the very early, if you're talking about the very early demos, I mean, I, I actually... I think it would be fun to sit down and listen to those just going like, oh my God, the play, this is atrocious. <laughs> but it's all it, it's all part of the learning experience. You know, I, I don't get too precious about things, and that's maybe because we have grown up in the public eye so much. It's kind of forced us to be sort of like a bit sort of thicker skinned or, you know, it's like you got to be able to sort of laugh at yourself when you, when you make mistakes or, you know, because these things are, I, I guess, in a way, we were kind of learning as we were doing it. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a huge period of like touring before we got signed. It was all it was all you know it was all very much done in the public eye. So yeah, 
And you seem like a very close unit and you're obviously doing it for completely the right re reasons. You're not like in it, from my perspective anyway, for money. You're in it for the music and to keep driving Ash forward. How did lockdown affect the band, right? Because that must have been such a difficult period anyway, but trying to be in a band and being with two guys and then not being with them for a, a year, two years. How, how, how did that affect the band? Yeah, I mean, it was, well, it was, a, it was a mad period for all of us, obviously, but um, for me... I think we we'd been touring in Europe just as the just as the pandemic was sort of hitting Europe. It was like coming into Italy in early February, and we were kind of like felt like we were kind of like it's all right. We're we're going north. We're kind of like heading away from it. It'll be fine, but you know, it eventually caught up with us. So about halfway through the tour, so it took a long time to sort of go. Hang on, this is this isn't going to happen. We were just like you know a couple of weeks off, and we'll, we'll rearrange stuff, and it'll be it'll be fine, but. It definitely there was a feeling of this is very much unfinished business going on here, and it took a long, took a few months to kind of accept that it, this is going to take a while. But there was, I don't know, it almost felt like there was some sort of carrot being dangled of like a prospect of some gigs happening. And there was this um, talk of this like driving to Live Nation we're going to do, and we were up for that, and then that got pulled like right at the last minute, just before they paid the bands. Funnily enough. So, not that I'm bitter, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So that that was just like, oh, it's just like right. We've got to rearrange the tour again. It's just like it just felt like this ruling kind of expectation. But you know, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of lucky where I live. I'm like kind of right in the edge of the city, so it's like pretty much just like turn turn the other way at the bottom of the road. I'm in the countryside and stuff, and it's just kind of that was good in terms of mental health. Got really into walking and. Uh, I also I, I quit drinking right at the start of the pandemic as well. I was going to go one way or the other, and thankfully it went the right way. So yeah, it was um, it was a weird experience, but you know, some some good stuff came out of it. But yeah, I mean, that for as a band, we were just like, you know, there were, there were periods where we're going like, when the hell are we going to get in the room again? You know, it's like yeah, I think it was like fourteen months we were apart. Obviously, you know, we're living in different different places, and that was. That was mad, like getting back into the rehearsal room. We're going like, we going to remember what we're supposed to do here. But I've got to say, it was probably one of the best days in a rehearsal room ever. <laughs> Which you know, I don't, I don't know any bands that really like rehearsing. <laughs> it it does feel like a bit of bit of a chore. But this was like, this was like, kind of felt like playing Wembley Stadium just to get in a room and just wheel on it, wheel on a kit with the with the other guys in the room. So yeah, it felt like a that was like a huge. Release. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine the outlet of emotion as well uh, in that room. And delighted to say, Ash still going very strong. Recently released the excellent Race the Night album. That's a fantastic album. I think it's a great album. Anything different, okay. I guess, these days in terms of like the recording processes that you're doing that that you weren't doing first when you first started. Oh man, recording like it, like you know we were like just go, going back to the very early days. We're releasing demos and cassettes running off our own cassettes and stuff like that you know everything was recorded on tape so it's like you know with the yeah just like computer technology in the studios like changed changed the way everything works these days you know we can do stuff remotely we can do stuff pretty much anywhere if you've got a computer and a few a few interfaces or whatever or a few preamps you can do it anywhere but i think with this album it's probably it's the first time it's like some of it was recorded in, in New York where uh, Tim and Mark were living. We had our own studio over there, which which we had from 2005. So some of this album's from 
predates the uh, like sort of pandemic and then some of it sort of post that so i actually got got to do some recording here in edinburgh um for the like, first time kind of like sort of living at home and recording and found this really cool cool studio and great guy to record drums with called graham young and uh yeah we're lucky to get into his studio and, and do a bunch of recording there so that was like that was like, the biggest change on some of this album anyway but yeah our our new york studio is no more because tim's moved back to the uk so i think you know it's like it's you know it was great having our own studio but it's kind of nice being out of that comfort mm-hmm. comfort zone and sort of like yeah just sort of being somewhere else and shaking it up and towards the back end of last year you were on tour with um the subways so the video clips I've seen look like that was a great tour, looked like great fun. How how was it touring with? I guess how was it touring with like another another band to that extent? Yeah, it's great. You know, it's like um, they're they're a great band. You know, it's like um, just like it's just a, a phenomenal live live band. So it's like it, it, it's always good to have something like that. It really keeps you on your toes. And uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's like you know we got out. We did like you know three weeks around Europe with them. We did a couple of weeks here in the UK as well. So. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant band, and uh, yeah, we've we kind of like sort of known them um, through through a few other people over the years, but you know, spend spend kind of three weeks on the same bus as them was was super fun. Yeah, for I sure. Bet, I bet it looked great. It looked great, and as well as Ash, uh, Rick, you have burned as witches, which I believe is just a pure solo project. But I didn't realise it was a solo project, right? So I guess tell us about burned as witches and and kind of. The, the difference between what you're doing in that and, and ash um yeah it's like it it's just sort of like I've, I've always sort of like dabbled in doing stuff with this is kind of the first time i've had any, any sort of project where i've been like right i'm i'm going to see this through um i've always sort of like done a few like collaborations with a few people and stuff and it's always yeah yeah there's, there's always a lot of ideas there but actually getting stuff across the line this is the first time i kind of like took the decision it's like right if, you know if i want to finish stuff i got to do this myself so kind of like taking on every role <laughs> in the band but yeah i mean it, it kind of grew out of um our, our agent who we were very close to um steve strange who's been with us since like 1994 he passed away in 2021 september 2021 i think this project kind of started as he was he was a huge like metal fan and uh it, it almost kind of started as a kind of bit of therapy sort of dealing with you know dealing with the loss he was like he's only 53 years old died of uh died of cancer unfortunately but um yeah it was kind of my way of kind of like sort of processing that that whole time and um yeah it kind of felt like it was almost a kind of therapy for me so it's like to be honest it almost started i was going to do like a tribute album to him but it's sort of like it felt like that was like kind of a bit much but you know, I think you'd be kind of proud of it. No matter, one day, it was just like, you know what? It doesn't all have to be about him. It's just like he's the inspiration behind it, and that's kind of like motivated me to kind of get stuff across the line. So yeah, I've been recording that for on and off for about a year, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, using the snooker as an excuse not to write lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have I have got lyrics written. It's just like there's there's like two songs I need to rewrite, and sort of like. After Christmas and stuff, I'm kind of slowly easing my way into that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with it. I don't, I don't know, don't know really have any expectations, but I think just on a personal level, just be having something that I finish myself will be, you know, that'll be the victory. Absolutely, absolutely. So only early January, so a lot of time left in 2024, Rick, to um to, to get that finished and complete that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I've got, I've, I've got my, my, my mate Graham. Uh, he's, he's saying, right, let's, let's mix this in uh, March. So oh, I've, I've, got, <laughs> I've got a deadline, but it, it, it's getting there. It's getting there. I look forward to hearing from it. And I know there's a few tracks on Bandcamp, isn't there? So there's a few tracks if anyone's interested well, that people yeah. can find there. No, I mean, they're, they're rough as hell. Um, but I, I basically, I think I come up with the name was just like, I come up with a few, a few names none of which were quite stay. I think everything I thought of, I, I Googled it. I was like, oh, that's taken. That's taken. <laughs> that's taken. And then when I come up with that, I was just like, I was expecting that to be taken as well. And then when it wasn't, it was just like, someone's <laughs> going to take this. I need, I need to delay it. So I just like, I ended up, I think I had COVID at the time, but I ended up sort of mixing a couple of demos and flinging them out onto Bandcamp in a, in a sort of fevered, <laughs> in a fevered, so, yeah. So moving away kind of from your own music, I'm going to go now to like your own musical taste. So I guess music-wise, what are you into, Rick? Is there a multiple amount of genres? Are you into one genre more than the other? What What are you into? What would Rick McMurray listen to on a, any typical given day? I kind of listen to, like, uh, I've kind of got a wide range of sort of musical tastes, but I think, like, obviously doing this metal project, I've been, I've been listening to, like, metal a lot over the last year. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I can't pin. I mean, I, I I go through phases of listening to jazz and stuff. It's just like insane, like jazz drummers out there. And I, I, you know, I I love a bit of chaos as well. I've been been listening a load of Joy Division recently. I always find it hard to sort of answer that question. It's just, mm. just like it just depends, you know. I I don't think of stuff that in sort of categories. To be honest, it's just like some. I mean, it's like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like my, my mood changes from you know from from month to month to week to week. And you, you mentioned Joy Division. Whatever. Like, you mentioned Joy Division, yeah. Rick. Anything else at the moment you're listening to? Whether that's like new or old. What what have you got on at the moment? So at the moment, there's loads of great new music out. There's a band I can't remember their names. Like a, a new Irish band, female singer who like they're going to have a top ten album, and their names escaping my head. Like the Straits, I think they're called. I'm really enjoying that album. That's a great album. Right. Anything, anything else you've got on at the moment? Well, we listened to Reese. I was listening to a lot of Langham yesterday, Soundgarden, but yeah, it was sort of like you listen to a bunch of like mad electronic stuff as well. So like our uh, our sound engineers, like yeah, they, they, on the bus with the subways, it was like it definitely definitely caused a bit of a rift because our, our sound <laughs> engineer was putting on this like just it's pretty hardcore techno and stuff, and it was just like me and him were just like loving it just like immersing herself in the sounds and just like we kind of looked up and just like everyone had, everyone had gone to the other lounge in the bus <laughs> so yeah yeah so yeah you mentioned rick as well i guess i guess i like quite a lot of extreme stuff <laughs> but you know it could be you know it could be extreme extreme pop or it can be extreme you know electronica or it can be extreme metal um Oh, that's a, that's the thing I've got into on the subways tour as well. I was just, I was like warming up every day to um, Slayer. Nice one. So that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just like stick on a. It's only like forty minutes for a whole album, so it's just like uh, we're on an hour. I just get the headphones on and just like put on the Slayer and just like sit sit and drum along or attempt to drum along. <laughs> <laughs> so you already said you listened to the Great White before that you said was fairly embarrassing. I always like asking my guests what their first record was or what their first single was. And I say there's no no such thing as a guilty pleasure on this podcast. It's just a pleasure, right? So what was the first single that you bought, Rick? And do you remember buying that? Yeah, 
I must have been maybe about eight or nine, or maybe maybe a bit, bit younger than that. But it was um, uh, Nick Kershaw. I don't let the sun go down on me. Classic. I think that's a classic. Yeah. It comes on the radio a lot in our in our car, and every time it does, it's always volume up as opposed to volume down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was that was the first one. Like, the same day, I think my my brother bought like an, an ACDC. Oh, I can't even remember what the I can't even, can't, can't remember what the A side was. It was like a twelve inch, but there was like two live tracks. But I remember I remember hearing TNT and going like, "Damn, he's got the best record." <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. And Rick, this podcast is about our guests getting to collect their fantasy festivals. I'm sure you've been around your fair share of festivals, obviously being in Ash. Are you a big fan of the festivals? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a you know, great way to see see stuff that you maybe wouldn't normally, you know, go go and see. It's a, it's always always fun to like just go and go and check out what what else is happening that day for sure, yeah. And uh yeah, I think I think the older I get the more I enjoy playing outdoors as well. Okay. Do you have a favourite festival that, that you've that, that you've played? A favourite festival, maybe experience at all? I mean, we've done like Reading was always a big one for us. Um, just remember, it was like it's probably the, the only festival that I went to before that we didn't play at. Um, I remember, like, we, I think we uh, it was ninety four. We went to Reading and hung out, and that was we weren't playing that year. But we were just like our ma- managers going like, "You guys are going to be playing this this time next year." We're like just. Wow, it's amazing! You know, we you know, we 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 got to hang out backstage as well. So it's probably not your not your typical festival experience, but we're just going like, oh wow, you know, it's like a year's time. We're going to be here. This is this is insane. So ever since then, Reading's been like a been a big deal for us. I think we probably played played Reading. I think ten times over the years, which I'm sure has got to be some sort of record. I think the only person that's played it more than us is probably Dave Grohl. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> he's, done it, he's done it in loads of bands so that doesn't count Dave doesn't count no multiple <laughs> bands don't count Dave only if you're, if you're in the same band so like I said at the top of the pod the aim of this is getting our guests to collect their fantasy festival so Rick gets to choose any five acts who make up his fantasy festival lineup and an encore which all five acts perform together at the end of his fantastical so for any first time listeners very simple five acts take five time slots so my christmas special last year in episode 150 i had the murdered song of the day guys on they collated their murder under the mistletoe christmas fantasy festival in their opening act they had the heavy north on super seconds they had dictator midway madness they had the prodigy pre-headline act they had sylvie and for the headline act they picked themselves to do their headline slot so murder song of the day lads went up and performed and for their encore as it was a christmas episode all their acts together performed Live Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas Time. So a very, very simple concept, very fun. But before we get to choose your five acts, Rick, you're going to need to come up with a name for your fantasy festival and a venue. So, Rick, what are you going to call your fantasy festival? I obviously didn't read that bit of the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> close enough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up this pedal and we're going to call the festival Fuzz Worship. Oh, mate, that's an amazing, that's an amazing name. I think that's worked there in your favour. So we've got Fuzz Worship. Yeah, it was kind of, yeah, I was just like, oh, shit. And then it was like, oh, hang on. This probably, this probably works really well. So luckily, luckily I had that pedal there. I would, I would definitely go to a festival called Fuzz Worship all, all day long. Wouldn't, I wouldn't even question it. I wouldn't even need to see the lineup. I'd instantly buy tickets. I mean, this, this, actually, look at this pedal. It's got, it's got like a few. Of, I guess you know, it's like not many people are going to get to see this. But I hold this up. Look at that. Wicked. We've got, 
architect of reality as well, which I think that would, that would be a pretty good festival there. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I think we've nailed that one. And future guests who haven't are paying as much attention as I am, just get grab the nearest object. You'll be amazed at what you'll find. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And fuzz worship can be anywhere in the world, right? It can be a venue big or small. It can be Edinburgh. It can be Ireland, UK, States, wherever you want to take us, Rick, we'll go. So where do you want to hold your fantasy festival? I mean, it's called fuzz worship. It's almost like it needs to be held in the church. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> as I was, I was, I, I, I get into this thing like I think it's sort of like a sort of like a lockdown hangover. Just like walking's become my thing. I was just walking around earlier on today, and we passed there's a little little sort of village just up up the road from where we are. There's a little like graveyard in there, so I was just looking at the church and going like, Dad, I really want to record some drums in there. You know, it's like I think you know. I don't know. It's maybe my perverse nature, or maybe it's maybe it's like growing up in Northern Ireland or whatever. I don't know, but I, I just want to record drums to a metal album in a church. So we might need something bigger than a church. I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, maybe yeah, in a graveyard. In a graveyard. All right, I like it. I like it. Do you know what? I'm with you on the walking thing. I think I've since lockdown have got quite into walking. There's nothing I like more than getting my headphones in and going for like a walk for about an hour or two and just kind of switching off. And it's so good for the mind as well. I don't know if that's an age thing or if that's a lockdown thing or maybe even having kids and you yeah. just need to maybe just escape for like an hour or two or whatever. But I, I'm totally with you on that one. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, yeah, it just like kind of clears your head. And if, mm. like, if I don't do it, I definitely feel, feel weird about not doing it these days. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like I've, uh, over the years I've tried running and it's just, it's so easy to put off. I'll look out the window and go, it's raining. I, I don't want to get changed. Or is it like <laughs> walk, walking with a fling on a coat, out you go and yeah. you're doing it. Yeah, we'll be on that one. Totally. So you get five acts. I'm sure whittling down to five acts has been quite difficult. Before we talk about the five, Rick, any acts who you want to shout out, who you love, but just aren't getting in to the graveyard and aren't joining us in fuzz worship? Yeah, oh God, there's, you know, there's, there's got to be tons of, you know, I, I tried to stick to, I don't know. I mean, I guess in one way there may be obvious bands that I picked, but you know, as I, I didn't, I didn't want to resurrect John Lennon or anything like that, you know. But you know, there, you know, there's, I think there's, there's definitely a temptation when you're doing something like this to, you know, pick bands that, you know, you, you never got to see or whatever. But you know, it's like, nah, actually, don't listen to me. <laughs> and- we, 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 we've got some bands that can't get back together. We've got one band that can't get back together at least. So, but yeah, it's like you know, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone wants to, you know, go the, the first band that crosses their mind is probably the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? It's funny because when I started it, that 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 was my presumption, but they have, they actually haven't been picked. Obviously, they've been picked, but they don't get picked as much as what you think people will pick them. And people have a very different. Everyone's so different in their stance towards the podcast, which makes this quite an enjoyable podcast to host because you never quite know where you're going with it. So as the host, I really enjoy it because I've got no idea who you're picking and where you're going. So yeah. it's really, it's, it's, it's quite, um, it's quite, it becomes quite a personal thing to people. So looking forward to seeing yeah. who you pick. Yeah, yeah you know, I, you know I, I, I guess I probably could have picked a bunch of bands that people might expect of like, being like bands that the drummer from Ash would be you know, associated with whatever, but I've kind of not really done that, you know. It's more, yeah, well, I mean, it's called, it's called fuzz, fuzz worship, right? <laughs> that was like, I had... I think, I think you, you probably know where I'm going with this. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I remember Steve Firth uh, from Embrace, bass player, 
came on about two or three years ago and his lineup was all like old like 70s like punk bands and you're thinking wow this is brilliant because you wouldn't necessarily associate the bass player from Embrace with liking all this kind of stuff well out of their comfort zone so each their own I'm looking forward to seeing where we're going with this so it's two o'clock the graveyard's packed out amazing day it's time for your opening act to come on the stage Rick so who are you going to have open your your fantasy festival we're going to go with the breeders great shout so why are the breeders for you, then, Rick? Why why are they going to open your fantasy festival? I don't. I just think it. it, it I, I think it's probably one of the like one of the albums that's just like always been with me since it came out. You know, Last Splash, particularly that album throughout the years. And it's like I, I I go through periods where I I haven't listened to it in a long time, and every time it sort of like it sort of pops up, and I'm just like I listen to it. It's just like it it still it just gives me shivers. Just like how great that album is. You know, I think the sort of production of it, the whole sound of it, just ah, uh, there's, uh, there's some sort of dark magic going on in that for me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just Kim Deal's voice is just like amazing. The guitars sound amazing. Just the the songs are so cool. I mean, it's like it's quite left field as well, but but it's like got incredible pop moments on it. It's got incredibly dark moments. It's got very druggy moments on it as well. And yeah, it's just like every, every once in a while. when it comes on I haven't heard it in a while it's just like it's mind blowing all over again brilliant so yeah alright so the Breeders are going to be your opening act this is uh, actually the first time the Breeders have been picked for a fantasy festival lineup. so one new act added to the roster so Breeders going to open they're going to play from 2 till 3 it's like a half hour break and it'll be time to get your super seconds act on Rick they're going to play from half 3 to half 4 so who are you going to have in your super seconds act Rick I mean, sort of. I've been, I've been wondering about sort of juggling this about. Um, I think, I think we're going to go with Nick Drake. Okay, I, I was, I was maybe going to put him on a little bit later, but I think, I think this is probably, probably the right slot. Um, you know, it's a kind of just like some beautiful, beautiful calm before the storm. I remember, you know, I probably get into Nick Drake around like nineteen ninety five, ninety six, something like that, and just like it's just like I don't know is is. Music, his songs, his guitar playing, are just absolutely fantastic. You know, there's there's three out al- three albums there. You know, it's like it's, it's a short career and you know cut tragically short, but his you know it's it's absolutely flawless. His entire back cat- catalog, even you know even like a bunch of like home demos that were released or whatever that you know every song in that as well. It's just like there was not a bad song, and uh, yeah, again, just like a just a, a fantastic artist too. You know, continually come come back to and one day I will actually sit down and try and play guitar like that because yes yeah, it's, it's it's very inspiring but it's a it's also very daunting thing as a musician to go like I, I want to I want to copy this because I, I know I'm going to fall flat in my face but screw it <laughs> <laughs> the thing I love about Nick Drake is it's almost mysterious almost so I never I never heard of him until I started working like a record shop and I feel like if you yeah. go and search YouTube, like you ain't going to come across much Nick Drake. You're going to have to work to find it. But I think when you find Nick Drake, you get heavily rewarded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's, I guess you know, there's there's there, there's tons of books out, out there. But yeah, it's like how, it's like, when I when I was sitting thinking about this list of for the for the Fantastical, I was sort of across my I was going like, you know what, you're really into artists who you know have this sense of mystery about them. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, do they? I was like. Ah, Maybe they don't. Maybe it's just me, and it's just that like their music's so good, I don't want to know anything about them. Mm. In a way, yeah, 
you know, because there was a few bad, I was because I was I was thinking about putting the pictures sort of going back to the original question. But I was like thinking to put like the Pixies on, maybe Led Zeppelin and stuff. I was, just, I was going like, oh yeah, they're sort of like don't really they had a, a aura of mystery about them. I was like maybe maybe just because you didn't read all the interviews about these bands and you didn't never felt the need to kind of like seek out any sort of stories behind them. And it's maybe because the music's just more than enough. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I definitely there is that much on Nick Drake. Really, I mean, you know, if he came out yeah. now, he'd be have all his gigs filmed. He'd be on this platform, that platform. But I think back in the day, there wasn't much about him. It's interesting you mentioned yeah. Steve Harris because this is the third time Nick Drake's been chosen the Fantasy Festival. I had Joe, I had Steve Harris's nephew on, who's a drummer. He drums for Twin Atlantic, a guy called Joe Lazarus. He also picked Nick Drake. So if you do meet. Steve Harrison, or you can say you got the same fantastical pick as his nephew. Small oh, world. Yeah. Small world. <laughs> Small yeah. world indeed. All right. So Nick Drake is your super seconds act. He's going to play. Yeah. I'm half... going to say. Well, sorry, just before we uh, before we leave the Nick Drake, it's, it's one where like our sound engineer uses like a Nick Drake song, uh, "Hazy Jane," to like he tunes the PA. So I was like, I hear that song every day we do a gig, and I'm still I'm still not sick of it. You know. Amazing. And that's that, that's, how, that's how good it is. Amazing. There must be an emotional sentiment to that as well, I guess. Like in terms of feeling just about before you're about to go on stage and hearing that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more of a it's more of an afternoon like sound check oh, thing right, actually. Okay. But it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Brilliant stuff. All right, Nick Drake. He's playing super seconds. He's confirmed. He gets an hour. We'll take a half hour break after Nick Drake. That takes us to five o'clock. Time for your midway madness. So a great first two acts. So Rick, who's going to be your midway madness act? No, this this, this is uh, well. I think I'm going to go. Yeah, we're going to go Soundgarden. I think that'll 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 be a nice transition. And uh, I just uh, I think the reason I picked Soundgarden is just it, it, I, I never really was into them that much. Like back in the nineties, I never really sort of gave them much of a second thought, to be honest. But I think over the, just over probably like. Probably the last two years and stuff, I've just become like really obsessed with like Super Unknown and Bad Motorfinger, and I, I've probably started like from a drumming point of view. It's just like like hearing something, just going like, oh, bloody hell, this you know the drums in this are abs- absolutely fantastic. But the more I've listened to it, the more I've kind of like got drawn into it. I think it was probably you know when when they were sort of like kicking about, it was like you know it was like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, the whole you know whole grunge explosion. And I think you know, as a band, we were very much in the in the Nirvana camp. Yeah, never really, never really got it at the time. But yeah, it's just become become one of my go to things like over over the last while. And just, you know, I think there's you know there's there's a lot of stuff in there. Just to, as a musician, just sort of listen to, it, especially as a drummer with weird time signatures going through through a lot of stuff. It's uh, yeah, I can I can I can listen to it and like find find new bits in in it sort of every time. And you know, been check out a load of um, YouTube live stuff over the last few months as well and just, you know, just blown away by their performances. I know you said you, you've, in the last two years, you've kind of really got into them. I guess, were you ever lucky enough to, to see Soundgarden? I know, I don't think so. No, no. I'm sure, I'm sure, I, I'm sure I would have remembered mm-hmm. if, I, if I had. I, tried. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think... I mean, there's a chance that our paths may have crossed at festivals, but I don't really, don't really recall it, to be honest. So, yeah, I don't think so. 
Fair dues. All right, Soundgarden, only the second time they've been picked for a fantasy festival. So they're your midway madness act. They're going to play five till six. Take a half hour break. Then it'll be time for your pre-headliners. We're going to play your fantasy festival from half six to eight o'clock, Rick. So three acts down, two to go. Who's going to be your pre-headliner, Fuzz Worship? We're going to go with Faith No More. Um, nice. Um, as we, we started off talking about VHSs and me wearing out like Iron Maiden VHSs, this was another one that I did. Um, I had the uh, live at Brixton Faith No More when I was a kid. And it was just like, I don't know, there's just, there's there's something about it. It was a kind of a, they're they're a bit metal, but they've got like all these other el- elements kind of creeping in there, and it's just like there just seemed to be a lot of lot of depth, and it just like felt like a you know certainly for 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 a metal for a little metal teenager in like you know nineteen eighty nine nineteen nineteen ninety it felt like this was like a giant leap forward sort of musically you know being an adult you're kind of aware that okay there's there was all this other stuff that kind of informed where they were coming from but. But you know, being a kid at that point, it was just like, wow! They're like, you know, they're they're taking they're taking music to to places I never knew existed, and it just felt like you know, it felt like this big, hugely kind of exotic kind of thing. And uh, I think I I did get to see a little bit of them live in two thousand and nine, but I was also kind of I think I saw maybe three songs. I think the rest of the time I was baby, babysitting our producers, <laughs> drunken. Drunken teenager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I would I would like to see the whole thing now, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your wish is our command. They're going to be your pre-headline act at your fantasy festival. They get to play from half six to eight o'clock. We'll take one more break. Then it'll be time for your headline act. We're going to get two and a half hours to headline your fantasy festival, Rick. So a great first four acts, but who are you going to have headlining and be the last act on at your fantasy festival? We're going to have a very specific Black Sabbath set. We're going to have every, everything, everything that was released before 1975, and nothing after. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess why Sabbath did as a starting point, and then why that? I guess it might be an obvious answer, but why kind of that period as opposed to anything else? Well, I, I think that you know, S- Sabbath. They're a they're a funny band. They're a weird band. I mean. They released some of the, the greatest, most profound music. They've spawned, you know, their their own genres. I mean, argu- arguably, metal, you know, metal, you know, they get credit for metal, right? But arguably, the grunge wouldn't exist without the Sabbath sound. I think it's like you listen to Bleach, you listen to Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. They they're so like heavily indebted to Sabbath, you know, it's like the this the size of those riffs, you know, it's like you know. Punk was very much credited as a as a big influence, but I think I think it's probably about thirty percent punk and about seventy percent Sabbath for the for the Seattle the grunge kind of kind of thing going on. So it's like you know they they they've done that, but they've released some crap as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember I remember being a kid and sort of like you know the name Sabbath. You know, it was like you'd hear it all the time reading Kerrang magazine and stuff. And you know, I remember. Like when I was getting into like really getting into metal, sort of like getting metallic albums, and it's like, oh, here's 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 new Black Sabbath album coming out. I wonder what that's like. I was sort of listening to it, going like, okay, not going to listen to that one again. <laughs> but then you just kept hearing the name Sabbath, and I remember like just picking up this. It was this double cassette, and it's like I think it's quite hard to find these days. It was like it was some re. I think it was actually their 
their manager re-released stuff because he owned the copyright on it and did his own. It's a really like weird compilation. It's got some bad tracks on it, but mostly it's great stuff. On it, but it's all like the early, mm. early Aussie stuff. All all stuff off the first five. Well, I think there's a couple of later ones actually in there, but all the stuff off the first five records is just like untouchable. Like a you know, if you did a festival set made up of the first five Sabbath albums, it would be you know, it would be heaven. <laughs> All right. And hell. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to do then. So, Sabbath are your headliners. Only the third time they've been picked on the Fantastical podcast. So, they return. They're going to be an amazing headline act. They're going to play from half eight to 11. And at 11 o'clock, they're going to bring back on stage Faith No More, Soundgarden, Nick Drake, and the Breeders. And they all get to play one <laughs> song, Rick, of your choice. You've got an amazing uh, lineup on your stage. You're all looking at you going, Rick, what are we, what are we playing, mate? So you get to tell them what the last song is. What are you going to have all your all your acts play together to close your fantasy festival? I was. It's a tough one with Nick Drake in there, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I hope he gets involved. And I think he's just... going to join But I, I, th- I think one one thing that might be kind of a fun way to end it, just like purely from an ego point of view, is uh, we're all going to play clones, yes. the Ash song, yes, together. <laughs> I think it's a you know it's like as much as metal kids. As we were when we grew up, I think you know there's there's not a huge amount of our music that kind of riffs quite as hard as Sabbath, but I think Clones is, Clones is up there. Yeah, so we'll ha- we'll have a bit of that. Wicked. All right, Ash, you're joining them on stage to play Clones for your encore. I loved that. I was hoping it would be an Ash track. I was thinking, I'm not sure he's going to pick an Ash track, but I'm glad you did. Amazing encore to finish your fantasy festival. So let's lock it in. Then we've got Fuzz Worship taking place. I've put in a graveyard in a church near Rick's house. So I think we'll hold it around that, around that area, if you're right with that. Oh, good. Yeah, we've got yeah. Breeders be opening act. We've got Nick Drake, Super Second, Soundgarden, Midway Madness, Faith No More, your pre-headliners, and Black Sabbath playing a set, but all the material before 1975. And for their encore, they're all going to play clones with Ash on stage. Rick, I'd be there, mate. I'd be there in a heartbeat. You happy to, to lock that fa- into the Fantastical lineup? Let's do it, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So before we finish this one, Rick, obviously a new year. I know Ash are doing some dates around January. What else is planned for 2024? What 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 you got planned? What have Ash got planned? What are Burns, which is doing? I guess what what are you doing as well? Um yeah, we got um we got a couple of gigs coming up. I think it was one just announced tonight, which is we're we're doing uh doing a uh, independent venue week show in Belfast at the OES Centre, which will be great. We we love that place. Um it's a, a tiny little event. We actually launched the album there last year. But yeah, other than, other than gigs this year, we got like festivals coming up in the summer. Uh, Latitude being one of them, which is a first for us as well. So that'll be exciting. First time playing Latitude. But yeah, we, we're just we're working on the next album, which is it's pretty pretty far advanced, even though we've just released wow. one. Um, because as I was saying before, we did ex- like some of the stuff on the on um, Race the Night was from pre-pandemic and then some post-pandemic now the reason for that is we we kind of had like almost two albums worth of stuff and in a kind of like mishmash of styles when we decided we wanted to like make it like kind of like try and hone things in to be a bit more thematic so we've got like we released the kind of more guitar-y side of stuff so we've got we've got maybe maybe a bit more sort of pop album coming up with like a few sort of probably a bit more experimental stuff going on in that so it's probably I want to say probably sixty. Well, certainly, the drums are done. I think the bass is done. A lot of the guitars are done. There's like 
some some of it's mixed some of it's needing vocals some of it's needing lyrics finished as well so that's going to be the focus in between the gigs and stuff so i don't think it'll be out this year but hopefully very early 2025 sounds amazing look forward to that and like you said burned as witches maybe get in the studio in march to, to finish that or get get that going yeah, well, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be probably diving in at, at some point this week to try and try and finish lyric lyrics, depending on how how much of the snooker I can drag <laughs> myself for. <laughs> and uh, yeah, ho- hopefully I'll have a finished album like some point this year. But you know, I've I've got no plan as, as to what's going to happen with it as yet. But we'll see what happens because yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. It was like. You know, part of it was we don't we'd a long time without any Ash albums. It was just like I'll just get on with doing my own thing, and then you know, I'm 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 in the throes of that, and suddenly we got like two Ash albums in the go. So <laughs> if, nothing, if nothing if nothing else, at least it's <laughs> at least it's it's got us pulling our fingers out in the Ash front. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I'm sure people follow your social, but if people don't, obviously Ash are on Twitter, Facebook, Insta. Burnders Witches are on Twitter, I believe. I mean, there's definitely a Twitter account, isn't there, for that? And then you've got your own Twitter really? account as well, right? So I guess just give us a roundup of where yeah. people can find find you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Burnders Witches is on Insta as well. Um, but yeah. Anyway, back. Can, can we go back a second? Can we, we just like? I, I know I'm not going to change any of the bands, but this is this is one thing when when I was I was looking at the timings of the festival. Here's an interesting one: was the the set lengths? Yeah. Because this, like, this is a this is a thing in Ash, right? We, there's one there's one member of the band who just wants to play more and more and more <laughs> all the time, right? So I, I put I put out a question on I think to the point where I put out a question on Twitter is like asking like what's your ideal set set length? And I got I got some interesting out, out uh, answers. This is this is a while ago as well, but it just this popped into my head just earlier on when I was looking at the yeah. looking at the festival lineup. So it's like. The most interesting answer I had was actually from Miles Hunt of the Wonder Stuff. Okay. Ideal set length, 20 minutes. 20 minutes! <laughs> <laughs> Some acts would be lucky to see just one song at 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you know, there's 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 some people out there that, you know, will have, like, you know, like, oh, yeah, three hours. They want to go and see, like, Bruce Springsteen at every gig. So I, what I'm interested in, what, what's your ideal set, set length? Probably as a kid in the 90s who went to gigs, probably about an hour and a half. But I, I guess the fantastical set links is to try and get it all in within one day and try and really condense yeah. the day and make people really think about who they're having in what slot. Because I think if everyone had the same amount of time, the kind of open act, you, you could vary who you were seeing. So I try and condense them down and generally get a bit bigger towards the end of the day. But it's funny you should say that because I listened to the Paul Weller podcast. He was recently on a pod about Paul Weller and he went on to the last episode to complete it and he was talking about his set lengths and he said roughly about 90 minutes to two hours is his perfect time he wouldn't want to do any more than that because he feels like he can get everything done within that kind of confined list and doesn't need to do a three hour Springsteen or a four hour Springsteen set he thinks it should be much shorter so it's a really it's yeah. a really interesting um, idea about the perfect I feel like 20 minutes is far too short though if, Mark, if, yeah. Mark, if that's what Mark well, I'd, agree, I'd agree with you there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so- that, definitely, that definitely caused some controversy and stuff. And he was going like, 
it was, it was just, just like, it was just like 20 minutes there and a few people sort of jumped on and went you, you can't be serious and he was like i definitely am if i want to go and see, if i want to go and see a band i usually go and watch like three songs and then that's it <laughs> off i go that's amazing i will say i'm a i'm a fan of anything that goes over i have been to quite a few springsteen concerts and there was one i went to acdc uh at the olympic stadium in stratford and then on that was on the saturday and had springsteen on the sunday and the first hour and a half springsteen just played like very rare cuts at Wembley Stadium and I was like mate you could have not done that and you still would have done two and a half hours of, of great stuff so I feel like sometimes it's it can vary depending on what your what your state of mind is but I, I, yeah, I, I see yeah. why people would think three hours might be a bit too much yeah yeah I mean it's like I think you know I think even Black, Black Sabbath I'd be I'd be struggling with three hours of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well sure, you know it's like I, I, I think just from a from a sort of like a, an attention point of view as well you know it's like you know, you, I think you know you don't need to see everything you want to see. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's good for people to walk away from a gig going like, ah, oh, you know, I wish they'd played this or I didn't hear that. You know, I feel like within the two and a half hours, I feel like the first five minutes you've got to have some leeway time because there might be a big intro. I feel like an encore could take anywhere between five minutes. So I guess depending on the fantasy element, maybe it's more of a two hours, just over two hours where people were talking and g'ing up the crowd and whatever potentially yeah yeah I, I think for me like an ideal set like for maybe be no more than 90 minutes you know i gotta say i did see it i've only recall seeing ash properly once and that was just before lockdown at in the forum at a gig that you played with the stereophonics and ash went on first oh. and played for about an hour and i gotta be honest i thought ash blew the phonics out of the water that night because it was tight it was compact it must be about 50, 55 minutes, maybe an hour, and you just play, yeah. like, you just win and just smashed it. And whereas the Phonics were on for about an hour and a half, two hours, and it took them a while to get going. I thought, I was really, I thought it was an amazing set that night. I didn't know whether that's because of the time constraints that you had where you're like, right, we're just going to absolutely pound it, or if that's what Ash normally well, did. That's, that's, that's the thing as well, you know, it's like some, some bands could have like a, a killer, you know, 45 minute mm. sets but you know if you went to see them do a 90 minute set it would just be like all right lads you know <laughs> see you later. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of it don't mind me <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so what a way to end it a bonus chat about settlings who knew who knew we would be so insightful about settlings that was a great uh a great way to end it so that is it thanks to and everyone you're gonna, you're gonna get a load of questions going like What's your what's your ideal length of podcast? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's nice. And, and, and do you like it when someone just won't shut up and won't go? Away? <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Like I said, 151st episode and the first one of 2024 done. If you've enjoyed this one, you can subscribe and give the podcast a review. You can do that on iTunes. So if you're listening on iTunes, give us a five-star view. That'd be appreciated. If you're listening on Spotify, you can also give the pod a review. You do that by rating the show and you can comment now on Spotify on each podcast episode. So if you're listening on Spotify, please do that. It gets much appreciated. We are also on Twitter as well as Ash and Burners, Witches and Rick. So if you don't follow us, make sure to do so at FantastivalP and give us uh, an email. If you're not on Twitter, you can email the pod at fantastivalpodcast@outlook.com. Normally we get some uh, tracks from our guests. So I'll get some tracks from Rick. We'll make a nice little Spotify playlist from his fantasy festival lineup. So scroll down in your episode description and you'll find a nice little link to a playlist to hear some tracks from Rick's chosen acts. So Rick, 
Great way to enter 2024. I feel like I was a bit rusty. It's the first time I've done this in about a month. But you've been a great guest. You've been an amazing guest, actually. How have you found being oh, uh, on the pod? So I think your passion for music has really come through and, and you've given some really good reasons about your chosen acts and you know the set length uh, was a really kind of nice add-on to the end. How have you found it, Rick? I've really enjoyed it, yeah. yeah. So it's the, the kind of first thing I've done this year as well. So, um, yeah, I <laughs> can't remember the last time I did it. Oh, well, probably a few months ago since I did a podcast. So I was feeling a bit rusty as well, but I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, I, I loved it too, so. No, mate, smashed yeah. it. Smashed it. Best of luck for the future. I look forward to seeing what Ash and Burns is, which is I've got for 2024 and beyond. So that's it for this one, like I said. I'll be back next week with episode number 100 and 52 so please make sure to join me for that one but until then stay safe my fantastical friends please continue to spread the word and that word is fantastical thanks for listening